福音第六章九到十五节。所以你们祷告要这样说：我们天上的父，让人都尊你的名为圣。愿你的国降临，愿你的旨意行在地上，如同行在天上。我们日用的饮食，今日赐给我们，免我们的债，如同我们免了人的债；不叫我们遇到试探，救我们脱离凶恶。你们饶恕人的过犯，你们的天父也必饶恕你们的过犯；你们不饶恕人的过犯。你们的天父也必不饶恕你们的过犯。这是神的话语。God is great, and He is the God of all nations, and we have lots of different nations represented. Here in this church, and I discovered those two were studying Chinese, and so I asked them, "Would you be willing to read scripture?" And they both surprisingly, enthusiastically said yes. I should say,、um, actually, Peter said yes, and then <laughs> twisted Tommy's arm, I think, into joining him. <laughs> Nevertheless, thank you, gentlemen, for reading God's word to us.、Uh, we are in Matthew chapter six. If you、um, have your Bible, if you would turn with me there, we'll be spending some time looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer. This is part two of、uh, a consideration of the the prayer that Jesus modeled for us in the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been spending some time thinking through together and processing together and listening to Jesus talk about、uh, the kingdom of God as well as the difference between true righteousness and false righteousness. Because we all see it in our world, there's a sense in which we are all worshippers. Everybody on the planet is a worshipper. We all worship something or someone, and the question is who or whom? Whom do we worship? And Jesus says there's a difference between the way true righteousness gets expressed for those who know God and those who don't. And so the question is:、uh, Are we going to worship Him? This is where Chapter Six leads us. In a way that God the Father will reward, or not, and Jesus is teaching us how to worship in, and pray to the Lord and express our righteousness in a way that God the Father will reward, so that we will not do it in a way that He will not reward. And the central question is: Who are you trying to please? In answering that question, how do you express your righteousness? The question is: Who are you trying to please? If you want to please the people around you, then you can do it, and you will probably get their praise. But Jesus says that's all you'll get. There won't be any praise from God the Father, and so He says, "Don't practice your righteousness in order to impress people. Don't practice your righteousness to please the people who are around you. Practice your righteousness to please God the Father alone." And so He gives examples about even giving. When you give your alms or you give to the needy people, don't do it to show people or to demonstrate that. Do it in secret. When you pray, 
pray in secret. Don't pray to impress people and use big flowery words, but rather pray to impress God the Father. And so then Jesus gives us an example of, okay, here's how to pray, and this is what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer for how we are to speak to God the Father. So this is not a, a... comprehensive prayer. It's it's simply a a skeletal structure for when you pray, think about these things. And last week we looked at the first three petitions, as it were, and then today we'll look at uh, the last half because the first half of this prayer is really focused towards God, His kingdom, His name, His glory, and then the last half of the prayer is focused on humanity and our greatest needs and the way that we should pray. So last week we we saw Jesus begins with some incredible words. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And then he says, pray our Father. That's unique, we saw last week. Nobody else prayed like that. Uh, there's, There's no Old Testament references of directing conversation directionally to God as father in the sense of a relationship. There is talking about him as father, so by way of analogy, but not personal address. So Jesus is doing something very different. So he's initiating a new kind of way of thinking about Jesus, about God the Father. And so he, he points out who can do this? Who, who gets the privilege of praying to God as Father. And what we saw is that's not an automatic preference. It's not an automatic privilege. Because Paul even says, not everyone who is a descendant of Abraham is actually an inheritor of the promise. So there's something that necessarily has to happen in order to get us into a relationship with God as Father. That's unique. So Jesus, we have the benefit of standing on this side of history, but Jesus is beginning to unfold a reality which was shocking to his hearers. And he is saying to the Jews, who are God's chosen people, not all of you belong to the Father. He he says, you are all creations of God, but not all of you can relate to him as Father. Because Jesus came... Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a teacher of Israel, one of the most devout people who came to Jesus at night and he said, we know you're from God, but you're really confusing. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. This is Nicodemus, an inheritor. He is a descendant of Abraham. The, the, the people who inherit the promises, and yet Jesus says to him, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? So it is not natural descent that gets you into a relationship with God the Father. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So we are adopted by the Holy Spirit, when we receive forgiveness from God, when we confess our sins and we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we confess our sins, we ask Him for salvation, we ask Him to pour His Spirit into us. That's the beginning of a new relationship. So so Jesus is saying, by, by using this language, that you're not automatically descendants of God in the sense of a family relationship. But you need his spirit in order for that to happen because he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There has to be a spiritual transformation that moves us into a relationship with God the Father. That's what Jesus is teaching us. This prayer, this is a family prayer. Non-believers can't pray this prayer. Those who deny Jesus cannot pray this prayer. You don't have that privilege. This, this privilege of praying to God as Father and relating to Him as Father was purchased by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we have to, this is an uncomfortable truth. It is an uncomfortable truth that Jesus forces us to face here. Is God your Father? And that's the first question to ask when you think about the Lord's Prayer. Is God your Father or is He just your Creator? Is he, is he truly your God in the sense of are you worshiping him? Do you have a relationship with him? Because that's why he died. Jesus died to give us the spirit of God so that we can commune with him. So that's the beginning point. And then that then launches Jesus into, okay, if we're in his family, and remember, this Sermon on the Mount was spoken to his disciples, we saw that at the beginning of chapter 5, when, when, when Jesus began the sermon, his disciples, those who had followed him, came and sat down around him. The crowds were there, but those who were obediently following him sat at his feet. That is the beginning of this prayer. It is, are you in the family of God? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you vitally connected to him, or do you just know facts about him? Jesus does not want you to stay content knowing about God. He died so that you can experience a relationship with God. That only comes through Christ Jesus, is what Jesus is saying. So he says, let's pray. Now, we, we looked at um, praying in the, to our Father and hallowed be his name. We looked at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. And now we look at verse 11. So join me in verse 11. We'll look at the last few petitions here. He begins by saying, give us our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's incredibly simple, isn't it? <laughs> A very simple prayer. When you, some of the, I often get asked, I, I don't want to pray out loud because I don't know how to pray. Prayer is simply a conversation with God the Father. It's just, just simple. And here we see Jesus saying, pray, give us this day our daily bread. So let me make a couple of observations. Uh, we can get from this that Jesus wants daily prayer to be a pattern of your life. He wants prayer to be a regular rhythm of the conversation between yourself and God. Daily prayer, lifting up daily prayer. Now, daily, the word here, there's lots of scholarly debate. It only appears here in, in the whole of the Bible uh, and only one other place outside the Bible on a little tiny Egyptian papyrus, which is a grocery list. So there's some debate on what this little word means, but it, it most likely refers to the daily ration. 
So give me t- today what we need. It does, it's not limited to bread alone, literally as bread. It, it probably stands for all of what we need in order for our daily dis- uh, necessities. And when Luke records Jesus teaching this prayer on another occasion, at this point, Jesus uses the words each day. And so this is, this is referring to a daily prayer for daily needs. Father, will you provide me with my daily needs? Now, one thing that's astounding is we just sang, how great is our God? How great is it that God who created all things would be concerned about your breakfast, your, what your needs are for the day? He's concerned about the little mundane details of our lives. That's what this teaches us. He's not so busy running the universe that he doesn't care about your daily necessities. He is a father who cares for the outcome of his children. And so all of the the needs that we have, uh, Martin Luther said, this stands not just for bread, but for um, everything from food to healthy bodies to good weather, house, home, wife, children, government, peace. And, and preserving all, us from all sorts of calamities, sickness, hard times, war, revolution, and the like. Luther lived in a rather traumatic time, and so he would pray like this, of course. But he understands this, this to mean all of life. God is concerned with all of the little details of life. He is a father who loves us and cares for his children. So don't think he's not concerned with the details of your life. This, this text shows us that he is. The third thing that it shows us is that God ultimately is the great giver. It is God who gives because Jesus is turning our attention to go to the Father, that we are in his family. We're speaking as disciples here. He's saying, go to him and ask him to give because ultimately it is God who is the source of all of our provision. As the psalmist says in 104, the earth is full of your creatures, These all look to you to give them food in due season. God opens his hands and he feeds all creatures, not just us. Every living being on the planet ultimately receives nourishment and sustenance from God the Father. God cares about even animals. It's amazing to me. So don't think he doesn't care about you. Because sometimes we feel that from the enemy. God, he doesn't care about your life. He doesn't care about what you're going through. He's he's far off, unconcerned, and distant. And Jesus is here telling us this is not true. God is the great giver and the sovereign supplier of the needs of your life. And one question then comes, why do we want to pray like this? Why do we need to pray for daily bread? He knows we're hungry. Why don't he just give it? What, What is it? I I again come back to the fact that prayer is not informational. It's not as though God is learning things, but rather it's relational. Part of the purpose of prayer is to enjoy a relationship and, and commune with one another. Fathers love that. On Fridays, I work from home. My son works from home every day. So on Fridays, we typically have lunch together, and we enjoy talking about what are we going to eat. 
Often, is it, is it going to be a Caesar salad with some buffalo chicken on top? Or is it an everything bagel with spicy mayo and ham and egg and melted Munster cheese? What's it, what's it going to be? By the way, we have been eating without Elisa. We have. We have survived. Some of you have been worried about us, and I, I thank you for your kindness and your generosity that you have showed to us. But David and I like to cook. And you know, when we sit and enjoy lunch together, it's sweet. There's no agenda. I enjoy his company. And, and could it be that God the Father, the creator of all things, is the same? If me, a sinner of a father, enjoys company with my son, how much more does a holy heavenly father enjoy com communion with his children? And could it be that that's part of the purpose of prayer is to invite us into a, a, a season and a place of enjoying communion with God the Father? Could it actually be that you as his redeemed child, remember, we're talking about Christians, people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus, your sins are covered, right? If you think God doesn't like you, you don't understand what Jesus has achieved for you. Jesus, the, there's a word for this, it's called propitiation in the Bible. It means the atoning sacrifice of Jesus offering himself on the cross actually changed the disposition of God who hates sin into favor. When we are covered in the blood of Jesus, that's why what I said at the beginning of this sermon is so necessary. Are you in a relationship of father and daughter or son with God? Or is he just God, your creator? Something fundamentally different happens when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we receive his Holy Spirit. God's disposition has changed from being angry with us as rebellious sinners to children. That's, that's why the word discipline is so important. You think of punishment, God does not punish his children. He disciplines us so that we can enjoy the fruits of righteousness. If you're his child, God is not angry with you. He loves you and he enjoys company with you. Just like I enjoy company with actually all of my sons, not just one of them, on, but particularly on Friday. And I wonder, what do you believe about God's disposition towards you? Does he just tolerate you? Or does he enjoy company with you? If you are in Christ and Christ's spirit is in you, God the Father loves you. And he is affectionately disposed towards his children. That's what this prayer is teaching us. And so praise the Lord for the sacrifice of what Jesus has accomplished. For without that, and I stand in my own sin, God looks at me in a completely different light. This that's, that's is why Jesus is so critical. What he has accomplished is friendship, familial relationship with God the Father. And so our Father in heaven, take care of our needs take care of our daily necessities. God wants you to pray about the little things in your life. That's what this passage tells us. He, he wants you to pray about the little things in your life. And then secondly, in verse 12, look with me. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, when you hear the word debt, what do you think of? I, I think finances. Uh, when I was a little kid and I, I read this passage, I, it, it sort of bothered me because my brothers who were older than me always were uh, borrowing money from me and I thought this meant if they owe me money, all they have to do is say, Todd, will you please forgive my debt? And I, I was obligated to say, okay, I don't get, I don't get my money back anymore. Right, this, is, this is not about money. This is about sin. And we know this for several reasons. But the word here, owed, this debt, this word simply means that which is owed. It can refer to money and does in some circumstances, but not in all circumstances. It can refer to other things, which we'll see. Paul uses this word in Romans chapter 13, verse 7, several times. And he says this, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So here it refers not just to, to money, but respect, honor, um, deference, relationship. All of those, we, there are people to whom we are indebted to them for these things, and we must give them to them. So when, when, when we're talking about here this indebtedness, we think about God we're, we're talking about sins, and Jesus uses this word when he records on another occasion Jesus' teaching about how to pray, and he uses the word sins in Luke chapter 11. He says, forgive us our sins. So we're, we're talking about being indebted to God when we fail to abide by God's word or his, his law or his will, we are indebted to him, is what Jesus is saying. And, and that is a falling short of all that is owed him. For example, God is infinitely worthy of all respect. Do any of us fully respect him as he is worthy of being respected? God is worthy of infinite honor and praise. We fall short of honoring him as infinitely worthy as he is. Or even um, respect, honor, worship. He's infinitely worthy of all worship. Do we give it to him? We don't, and so we fall short. And so Jesus is telling us, he's building into our lives a pattern of praying for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and in, when you have questions about what the word means, look at the immediate context. And in verses 14 and 15, Jesus uses a synonym for this indebtedness, and it's trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. Sometimes we say that. In Luke, that's also the word that is used. On, it's Jesus teaching this same prayer on a different occasion. So to trespass means to know God's law and just cross over it. You know where the boundaries are. You, just, you don't care. You just pass over. It's like you know this is a boundary line and yet you just go right through it. And Jesus is saying we need to regularly forgive or build into our lives prayers because we fall short of honoring God as he ought to be honored, as respecting him as he ought to be respected, as worshiping him as he ought to be worshiped. We fall short of his glory every day. And so we need to then pray for those failures. Father, forgive us for our trespasses. Forgive us for our indebtedness to you. Forgive us of our sins against you. And that is to be a daily prayer. Jesus assumes we fall short of God's glory every day. So is that a part of the pattern of our prayer? That's what Jesus is teaching us. To maintain that communion, we ought to pray every day. And, and also, 
If he instructs us to pray in this way, the implication is forgiveness will be given. If you go to your father and you ask for forgiveness and you confess your sins, he will give you grace. He will forgive you. And if you wonder, is that really true? Can can I really get grace from him? Think about God's own name. When Moses asked God the Father, would you show me your glory, meaning reveal all of who you are, And God said yes. He revealed his name to him. And in Exodus chapter 34, here's what God says. He said, I am the Lord, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Graciousness is the second word out of God's mouth when he describes himself. I am merciful, gracious, slow to anger, Gracious is, is the God's essence, at the very core of his being. He is a God who is gracious. So yes, we will receive grace when we ask the Lord to forgive us. He gives us grace, and he is free to give grace to whomever he wants to give. He also says in Exodus thirty three nineteen, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. It is up to the Lord to presume I mean, to, to, to give grace to whomever he wishes. It is not up to us to presume upon that grace because none of us deserve that kind of grace. Because of our sin, we all deserve justice. And yet, we go to God the Father through Jesus and in him, we can receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. This is part of the gift of salvation. And Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 3, 22 to 25. He says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Okay, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, there's that word, by his blood to be received by faith. So big words here, but a couple of important ones. Being justified is being declared not guilty. So before God to be justified, how does that happen? It happens by faith as a gift through Jesus, meaning what Jesus has accomplished atones for our sin, for those who trust in Christ Jesus, and then God gives as a gift the declaration of not guilty. You are innocent in, before me, in my eyes, not guilty. That happens through faith, not by earning it or working to do good things, but rather looking at what Jesus has done and resting in what Jesus has done as completely sufficient and then receiving that grace. That is a total gift of God. That is salvation. That is, that is what hopefully everybody in this room has done, but probably not. And I'm wondering, are you looking on the basis of what Jesus has done to God the Father and saying, will you grant grace to me because he purchased it for me? Will you be gracious to me because of what Jesus has done? And, and faith in him will get you not guilty. That's being justified. And then being sanctified is following a life of obedience. And so this happens by 
what Christ has, has accomplished. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. All of us who have sinned deserve death. And yet, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we reject Jesus, we do not receive that grace. If we turn away from the provision of salvation, which cost Jesus his life, if we ignore that, then we ignore the only means of salvation. And yet, if we put our faith in God through Jesus, we receive a free gift of eternal life. And so Jesus is saying to us, make prayers of forgiveness a regular part of your life. Now you might ask, well, if I'm justified, why do I have to keep praying the prayers of forgiveness, right? If, if, I'm, if I'm not guilty, you just said that, Todd, not guilty, why do I have to keep praying for forgiveness? That's where sanctification comes in. Justification is the establishment of the relationship. Sanctification is the maintenance of the relationship. Think of it as marriage. When I, I'm, I'm married, I've been married for 27 years almost, if I offend my wife and sin against my wife, it doesn't mean that I'm suddenly not married. But does Todd need to go and apologize if I offend her? Absolutely. If I want to have a peaceful home, I will. The, the relationship gets repaired by the confession, but it doesn't change the status of the relationship. It's the same way with, with us and God. We are justified by our faith in Jesus. He be, we become his children. He doesn't disown you when you sin. But in confession, does the, the intimacy need to be repaired? Yes. Sanctific the ongoing praying is what keeps us close to the Lord. So if you've sinned, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means you're not close to the Lord. You need to repair the intimacy. And so Jesus then comes and gives us this gift of being able to pray to the Father continually and, 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 and return again to be close to him. An example of this is when Peter at the Last Supper, do you remember Peter? Jesus came to Peter as he was washing his feet and Peter said, no, Jesus, you're not gonna wash my feet. And, and, Pete, and Jesus said, yes, Peter, I have to wash your feet or you're not a part of me. And then he said, well, get my head and my hands too. Get all of me. And Jesus said something amazing. John 13, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. So Jesus is saying, you're, you're clean, Peter. You, you're justified. That's justification. You're clean in me. But you still need your feet washed. That's sanctification. That's the continue. That's why we need to keep praying. Father, forgive me of, of my, my trespasses and my debts. So the, the falling short of God's glory is then restored and corrected and forgiven through regular prayer. And then also he says, so that's the prayer to God, forgive me of my trespasses, my debts, but then also as I'm forgiving others. That's the next part. We need to forgive each other. Not only daily will we fall short of, of God's glory, but we also will we'll fall short of one another's communion. We'll, we'll, we'll offend each other. So daily we will offend God and daily somebody will offend us and we will be sinned against. So we have to forgive each other. 
This is going to happen. This is how relationships are maintained. Not only do I forgive, I ask God for forgiveness, but then I also have to be willing to grant forgiveness. And and if you don't, here's the question. If you don't understand all that God has forgiven you, and, and if offending an infinitely holy God all of the sinfulness that comes from us offending and falling short of him, then if we don't know that all of that has been forgiven, how could we ever then fail to forgive others? Our sins against God are infinitely more heinous than someone else's sins against me. And yet if God will forgive me of infinitely heinous sins, how can I refuse then to forgive someone who has offended me? And this is the point of the unforgiving servant. If you remember that parable, a king has a, a subject who owes him $6 billion. That's the equivalent. And, and this man comes in and the king says, I want you to repay the debt. And, and this man says, I, I promise I will pay you. Will you please be patient with me? And he pleads with him and implores for, for forgiveness. And God says, I, I forgive you. Just don't even worry about repaying. The king grants forgiveness. Don't worry about repaying. Six billion dollar debt is wiped away. And then he turns around and walks outside and a guy owes him twelve dollars. And he starts choking him and says, pay me back. Some servants saw this and and told the king what just happened. And the king came back and said, you didn't understand what happened here. I forgave you all of this, this massive debt, and you are now not going to forgive someone $12? This is us. We have been forgiven a debt of an infinite number, and I can't even fathom. Our offense against a holy God, God forgives us. And then he says, "If if you understand the kind of forgiveness that you have been given, you certainly will grant it to one another. So when you pray, God, please forgive me, you cannot then harbor unforgiveness for somebody else who who has offended in much, much, much smaller ways. If we've truly been forgiven, we have to be forgivers. If we understand the grace that has been given to us, then certainly we must share grace with one another. We must be kind to each other. So these are the things in which Jesus is calling us to pray. Forgiveness of our sins is only possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Forgiving others who sin against us is only possible through faith in the name of Jesus. The privilege of being able to call God Father is only possible through faith in the name of Jesus. That sweet daily communion between father and child is only possible through the name of Jesus. And every gracious gift of having all sins forgiven only comes through the name of the Lord Jesus. Are you cherishing what he has granted? This great privilege to pray. And Jesus is saying, think about these things when you pray. So let's pray together. Father God, we often cannot comprehend fully all that you have done for us through Jesus. And Jesus, we, we cherish you. We love you. Without you, there's no hope of God being our Father. We are lost in our sins if it were not for you. 
And so, Jesus, we worship you right now. We cherish your name. We want to exalt your name. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody listening to my voice that does not know you personally, let today be a day where you give them the gift of your spirit. And Father, I I ask that the words of Jesus ring in our ears. If, If you will come to me, I will never cast you out. If you will confess your sins, then you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All of this, Lord Jesus, is possible through your name and only through your name. In Christ's name, amen.